Well, what a delight it is to welcome you to Stensill Community Church this morning. I'm Pastor Joey, and it's always my privilege to be able to talk to you right out of the Bible. And we're going to do that here again today in a series that we've called Jesus Is. Um, we have a fuzzy picture of Jesus sometimes, and um, this series is about taking some of the blur out. Some of you may remember the old Polaroid one-step cameras where you hit the you hit the button and it spins out uh, a photograph and you had to wave it in the air, you know, to see the thing to develop and eventually the full. You know what? I have a feeling about half of you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right? So I'll just give it up. Okay, but there was such a thing at one time, a Polaroid one-step camera. You punch the button, and then it would be gradually the photograph would come into focus. And I think sometimes that's what happens with our image of Jesus and our view of Jesus is that um, it gets a little fuzzy, and we need a little time, and uh, hopefully things come into, into clearer focus. And that's what we want to do here in this series called Jesus Is. And so the theme today is salt and light. Uh, Jesus is salt, Jesus is light. We're probably going to deal with the first part of that um, passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We'll deal with that here today. Um, probably talk, start talking about salt. And uh, my sense is that we'll talk about it a little bit more the next time I speak as well. So it might be a couple, three Sundays in, in the Matthew 5, 13 through 16 passage. But it's important that we be salt and light. And those are two powerful metaphors that Jesus uses here in this in the text um, Jesus uses the metaphor of salt because its properties and usefulness provide an excellent analogy to the believer and the believer is one who slows down the process of decay you can't stop the decay in culture but you can slow it down and salt is the way you're the salt of the earth, Jesus says. And so salt is a way that, that engages the culture that's decaying. And then, of course, light is a great metaphor because the world is filled with darkness. And when you talk about salt, there's several layers of meaning when we, when we discuss salt. And I would just hasten to say that God loves to make salt out of ordinary people from a variety of vocations in life. He wants you to be salt. You are salt, and he wants you to be salt. And uh, no matter who you are or, or what's happened in your life or your past or all the different uh, interests that you have in your life, God wants to use you as a preservative influence, a seizing influence in the culture. And he wants to use you to poke holes in the darkness so that the light of God can shine through. We've had some people um, living this out on a daily basis, and um, it's so important that we think of it in those terms. When we think about salt and the layers of meaning, um, there's like five of them that I would like to just note with you this morning. First, the Christians, like salt, are of infinite value, and we'll see this in the text in just a moment. Second, Christians, like salt, act as a, um, a preservative in the rotting culture. And then third, Christians like salt are to promote thirst. Fourth, Christians like salt can um, lose their usefulness and fail to engage. And then fifth and finally, Christians like salt must have contact to have an influence. You've got to get out of the salt shaker. 
Um, and unless you get out of the salt shaker, you're not engaging. And so it's important, these five things that we, we see these here in, in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. And I want you to notice, too, that this really, this passage, it really presupposes two very important things. The fact that the world needs light presupposes that it's dark. And the fact that the world needs salt presupposes that it's decadent or decayed or decaying. And Jesus' concern is that the salt not be contaminated and that the light not be hidden. And you're going to see those in this passage. Um, that the salt would not be contaminated and that the light would not be hidden. When we read this in next slide, if you would, for me, um, Jesus says, of course, he's just given the Beatitudes, and we know what those are in uh, 1 through 12 of Matthew 5. And uh, if not, you can kind of peruse over them as a way of review. But having blessed their life, he says, now you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. First, Christians like salt are of infinite value. If you would go to slide number two for me. Verse 13, thank you. And um, when you look at this, we see it very clearly here. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say that you bring light and you bring salt. No, no. He says, you are, and the you is an emphatic position. Those grammarians who study um, Greek, they will tell you that it's in the emphatic position, meaning that Jesus is saying, you yourselves, you're the only ones that can be what I'm asking you to be and what I'm declaring that you are. If you've received me into your life, you are salt. He's speaking identity over them. And it's, an indi it's, not, uh, it's not an imperative, a command, go be salt. It's an indicative statement. You are salt, he says. He didn't say go become salt. No, no. You are salt if you've received him into your life. He's speaking an identity over you. And really, this is the core of our identity as people who follow Jesus and as people uh, endeavoring to represent Jesus in the world, um, our, our core, the metaphor that best communicates our vision and our identity and as it's to be lived out in the world is that of salt. And so Jesus says, you are salt. You know, Tim Keller in one of his messages says that when I have eaten a piece of corn on the cob that I really like, he said, I put it down and what do I say, he says? Do I say, honey, his wife who made the corn on the cob, honey, that was great salt. What an incredible meal we had of salt. No, he says, I say, honey, that was a great corn on the cob. 
Because the job of the salt is not to make you think how great the salt is, but how great the thing that's involved with it is, right? And so when you eat a corn on the cob and it's really good, you don't look at your wife and say, honey, that was great salt. No, no, it was great corn on the cob. You got a sweet, some sweet corn Charlies or wherever you get it from here in Indiana, you know it's really good. But the salt, it's not about the salt. It's about the taste of the corn on the cob and what the salt does. And so salt doesn't exist for itself. It amplifies. Salt is common stuff. We cook with it. We season food with it. We pass it. We gargle it. We soak in it. We melt ice with it. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you are the gold of the earth. These people in Galilee would have no idea. They've not been around gold that much. He didn't say you're the gold of the earth or you're the uranium of the earth. No, no, he says you are the salt of the earth, this common, ordinary stuff that you use and you see and you need in everyday life in Galilee, right here in the Middle East, you are the salt of the earth. You don't just become salt. You are salt if you've received me into your life. This is your core identity. And, and it's not about us being great salt. It's about the corn on the cob, which is Christ, of who we're amplifying and who we're pointing to. And so Jesus says, first of all, uh, Christians like salt are of infinite value. He's speaking an identity over your life. And he's, he's speaking identity into your life. He's blessing your life. And until you are blessed in a God-centered identity, it's going to be tough to be a blessing in the world. It's going to be tough to be salt and light in the world unless you bring this sense of being blessed and have an identity in God and, and in Christ alone. And so the first thing he's saying here, Christians like salt are of infinite value. They're of infinite value. And you have, have so much value to offer and your impact has the potential of being a powerful impact with Christ at work in your life. The second thing that Christians are like salt here is that Christians are like salt. Like salt, they act as a preservative. Look, the text says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You know, salt was very important in a non-refrigeration society. They needed it. Uh, you would catch a fish out of the Sea of Galilee. If you're going to transport that fish to Jerusalem, about 9,800 miles away, transportation was slow. You needed salt to rub into the meat so that it wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, eliminate the process of spoilage, but it slows it down such that you can get it where you need it to be. And so it prevents the process of decay. It, it doesn't prevent the process of decay, but it slows it down. And Jesus is making a point here. You know, just as the salt was rubbed into the meat and the fish and traveled hundreds of miles away or several miles away, the believer in the community acts as salt. Uh, we act as a preservative in the world. Without you and the viewpoint that you represent, without the viewpoint of biblical worldview that you represent, that viewpoint doesn't get represented in the world unless you represent it. For if you don't speak the truth, who else will? And so salt in Jesus' day could get diluted. They didn't have Morton Salt Company where you could process it and have it in a nice uh, container where it's treated and you can spread it out out of a carton. No, no, this stuff was taken out of the Dead Sea or other places and it was extrapolated and many times it would come diluted and diminished in quality and properties. And uh, the salt 
would be hard to be seen and tasted. It would lose its saltiness in a way that Jesus says it here. And when you mix a secular worldview into your personal worldview, you lose your saltiness. You lose your influence. And Jesus is saying, don't be tasteless and bland. Don't go into hiding and cowering. When Jesus says we're salt, he's saying something about human society. And it tends to go bad. And people will love you for what you do for a community. And they will hate you for the values that you stand for. It's just the way salt works in the world. You'll be loved and you'll be hated. And I think it's interesting here that uh, Jesus says that you're not the honey of the earth. We all like to be sweet, right? We like to be sweet, and we like to drip with honey, and we like to drip with love and, and lead with the sweetness of honey. But Jesus says, you're not the honey of the earth. That's not your core identity. Your core identity is salt, and salt preserves, and it seasons, and it stings too. When you rub salt into a wound as a disinfectant that stops the spread of, of germs or bacteria, it stings. And sometimes as believers, when we love a community and we drip like honey on a community and we love the community, and it's important that we express that, we must go back to our core identity. It is not that you are the honey of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. There are times you take stands for things. There are viewpoints you have to represent. And these viewpoints sting. They sting a culture that's, that's hypersensitive to uh, offense and uh, of, of being a society of grievance. And so Jesus says, you are the moral conscience of the world. And you speak and represent my viewpoint in the world, what is true and right in the marketplace of ideas. And there are some alarming things happening in the world. And those sloppy ideas have to be engaged by your perspective, by a per perspective of, of being salt that Jesus has called you to be. And so, yes, you are the salt of the earth, and the salt preserves and it seasons, but it also stings. And I think that probably one of the core identifiers of my pastoral ministry is I'm called to be salt. I'm not called just to drip honey over the world and drip honey over all of, of the uh, secular worldview points that are espoused and presented by a culture. We're called to be salt. We're called to preserve. We're called to engage the cultural rot. We're called to, to retard the, the, the process of decay, to slow it down such that we can represent a biblical worldview. We can represent a viewpoint in the world. And, uh, and sometimes it stings. But sometimes it's good, it's right, it's proper that we season, we preserve and that we serve in a society and represent a viewpoint that is decaying and the tendency is to rot and decay. And so the process of decay will hasten to a swift and final destruction unless you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. The believer is the preservative that stymies the cultural rot. And I believe we are called to preserve, we're called to season, we're called to enlighten a society on our job, to take every, 
our job is to, is to take a viewpoint, Jesus' viewpoint, into every community of every, every vocation, every relationship, every family, to represent that viewpoint. And it will season, it will preserve, and sometimes it stings because of, of the truth. And the truth gets at our, uh, our core human dilemma of uh, decay. You know, John Stott, he died in 2011, and he was a pastor in England. And he, was, he once uh, said this while he was visiting in the USA. He said, you know what your own country is like? He says, I'm a visitor and I wouldn't presume to speak about America because he's from Great Britain, but he says, I know what Great Britain is like. He says, I know something about the growing dishonesty in Great Britain, the corruption, the immorality, the violence, the pornography, the diminishing respect for human life, the increase in abortion. This was back in 2000, before 2011. And so he, he said, I understand Great Britain's issues, and I'm not going to presume to speak to America's issues, but he says, whose fault is it in the culture with all of the cultural rot and the cultural decay and the cultural darkness? Whose fault is it, he says. He says, let me put it like this. If the house is dark at night, there is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, he says, there is no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? And if society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? Where's the church? And so it is time for some of us to go public because the world is decaying and it needs some salt. There's a pervasive influence in culture right now that says, don't believe your eyes and ears. We will tell you what to think about regarding all that you're seeing and hearing and observing. We'll be the ones who interpret for you. What is becoming increasingly clear to me is that the family is now viewed as the enemy. The culture wants to dismantle it. And one big reason, it shapes our true identity. Everything that defines us is now an enemy. Our personal identity is under assault. Our gender identity is under assault. Our religious identity is under assault. Our national identity is under assault. We can't define ourselves. I'm not just a white, married, straight Christian male who is a U.S. citizen and a pastor and a father. I have to be gender X. I have to be parent one or parent two. And my opinion doesn't matter because I'm privileged. 
Why? Because when I no longer have an identity, I become a number and forced into a script that culture tells me I have to play, and I can't do that, and neither can you. The culture is rapidly decaying. You're not called to be honey. You're called to be salt. And that stings sometimes. But you have to be it to preserve it, to, to slow down the decay, uh, to represent a, a message of hope. Well, Pastor Joey, will you marry two persons of the same gender? I'm not called to be honey. If I was called to be honey, then I'm going to answer that question differently. But I'm not called to be honey to society. I'm called to be salt. Will I hold your hand while you're at the bedside of your same gender lover and they're dying Will I hold your hand and minister to you? Absolutely. I'm called to be salt. But there's no way the Bible will permit me to marry two persons of the same gender. And that stings sometimes. But it's truth. And it calls us. Jesus is calling you and me to be salt, to be light. It's time that we go public this idea of I just want to keep it private do you think when Jesus says he wants you to be salt and light do you think that Jesus honestly wants you to be unnoticed in the world do you think he wants you to go unnoticed and your viewpoints never heard from that's not what he's saying what he wants you to do is to engage the cultural rot. You are not the honey of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And it stings sometimes. But you have to represent him. And you have to represent him in the world. I will defend the value of human being. I will defend the special creation by God. I will defend God's two genders. I will defend God's plan for our sexuality. I will defend a country dedicated to freedom. I will defend the family. I will defend a biblical worldview. I'm not called to be the honey of the world. I'm called to be salt, to engage the cultural rot. Well, will you affirm us by using these pronouns? I'm not called to be honey. If I was called to be honey, I might. But I'm called to be salt. Uh, will you come to my shout my abortion party? I'm not called to be honey in the world. I'm called to be salt, and that stings sometimes. Salt was used on wounds to bring healing, and sometimes it stings, but God wants you to be a healer. He wants you to engage. You see, gender ideology and child mutilation and child sexual indoctrination have become major national issues in our time. It is rotten to the core. I'll say it again. It is rotten to the core 
of anything that's in existence. You have a country and major corporations are going woke along with many churches in the world. Big city, big city education corporations across the nation are committing more to socialist agendas than education. And we have a national leadership crisis. The question is not, why is the house dark? Why is the meat rotting? The question is, to quote John R. W. Stott, where is the church? That's what culture does. That's what society does, left unchecked. And uh, gender identity now overrides actual biological sex. The body has been rendered meaningless. But you can't do that because we're embodied beings and the body doesn't lie. You can pretend to be something else and everyone can pretend along with you. But you're denying something innate and natural. And when adults lie to children telling them that they can be anything they want to be, rendering the body meaningless to inform us of what it says pertaining to our gender, that is to build a fantasy world of non-reality. I'm not called to be honey. I am called to be salt. And sometimes it stings. You're called to be salt. It's your core identity. To be honey is to be useless, Jesus says. The salt has lost its savor. It's so diluted with a secular worldview, it has no impact. Jesus says, you are salt. You preserve, you season. And there's many other things we're going to be talking about, salt. But you also sting a little because you represent something that holds back the flood tide of evil. You know, uh, I have no earthly idea how family-friendly drag shows for elementary school students, how that could even be a thing, but it is. You heard me right. Drag shows for elementary age students. Drag queen story hour. Normalizing men, dressing up as women, getting the kids to start dressing up in drag, then sexualizing these relationships, but tell everyone it's what the kids wanted after all. It's rotten to the core. It's decadent. And what I'm seeing, and I hadn't seen it until this just recently, Femininity has a softness to it. There's a natural beauty to it. Drag is what men would dress like if they hated women and wanted to mock them. Drag has stopped being female impersonation and it's morphed into its own thing. And I hadn't seen it as mockery before, but now I do. Drag is a costume, it's a caricature, it's a mockery, it's a cheapening of what it means to be female. It's not art, it's misogyny, it's mockery, it's sexual objectification. And taking kids to a drag show to teach them to respect gay people 
is like taking them to a strip club to teach them to respect women. It's rotten to the core. You're not called to be honey. You're called to be salt. You can't afford to set this one out. You can't afford to stay on the bench. You can't afford to say, I'll let the pastor do it. You're not called to be honey. You're called to be salt. And that stings sometimes. But in the end, at the end of the day, you will have promoted healing and life restoration by bending things back toward God's creative norms and representing the perspective of Jesus in the world. Dwight Longenecker said some time ago, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it Your core identity. Yes, I want you to be sweet. It's great to be sweet. I love being sweet. Sometimes I'm probably more bitter than sweet on some things. But I want to be sweet. You want to be sweet, right? You want to drip honey on the people around you, and you want to love them and care for them and do everything you can to, to love on them. That's not your core. You see, when Jesus says, you are salt, he's not saying, you, I want you to become salt. I want you to grow in your saltiness. No, no. It's a statement of fact. You are salt. That means it's your identity. It's the identity of your relationship with the world. It's the core identity that Jesus is giving you, these two metaphors he's giving you, to help you understand what your relationship is to be in the world. And so the core metaphor, the core uh, foundation for who you are and who you are to be in the world, you are salt. That doesn't mean you're mean when you spread out in the salt shaker, okay? doesn't mean you throw the salt at people and you rub, you know, you're, you're rough and abrasive and crude. No, no. It means that you are preserving, a preserving influence in society, you are seizing impact, and you're a disinfectant in society because you represent a viewpoint in the world that does not get represented by anybody else. You take all of the believers out of any community, off of any team, out of any group of people. And it will not be long until the cultural rot will just contaminate that group of people because all of the people that represent a biblical worldview have been taken out of it. And there's no one there to stymie, to curtail the decay. You are not called to be honey. You are called to be salt. It's a very 
sobering message. And of course, the end result is not just to create sting for sting's sake. It is to create a long-term view of healing that people can be healed and restored to a life in Jesus who is the salt of the world, who is the light of the earth. This is a big vision. It's the salt of the earth, the light of the world, of the earth, of the world, of the earth, of the world. It's a big vision. It's a big mission. And you and I are called to represent this worldview, this, the beauty of who Jesus is in the world. You know, uh, I see people being salt and light in our community. It brings me joy. And you, it's, it's how does one impact the world? It's doing so many things. It's just doing so many little things right in the world. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a teacher who uh, invests in the student that's having a hard time. It's, it's the parent who um, takes the extra two minutes to invest in a son or daughter who's having trouble with maybe an issue in their life. It's, uh, it's the neighbor um, who takes over some cookies when the family just lost somebody in their, in their family. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And when you do these good deeds, Jesus says, in a way, it just it, it points to him and it gives opportunity for the salt to engage, for the light to expose and shine in the darkness. But you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Shine bright in this community. Represent his viewpoint wherever you are and whoever you're with. Um, represent it. And God uh, gives us so many opportunities to be salt and light. Just last week, uh, right after church, I loaded up in our car and I headed down to West Virginia. My wife's husband, he was 85, not my wife's husband, my sister's husband. Yeah. I want to take me another drink. Butch, did you spike my water? My sister's husband, she married late in life. He was 85, and uh, he had a couple of surgeries back-to-back, and it weakened him and had some circulation issues in his legs. Great guy, loved the Lord. And uh, so he was in the hospital. He got COVID while he was in the hospital, and they put an oxygen mask on his face, and when the oxygen um, via the mask was no longer adequate, um, he had a decision to make. Uh, Mr. Spradling, unless you are intubated and you have a respirator placed in your body, you're not going to survive. Your, your body cannot live now on just the oxygen you're getting from the mask. You've got to be intubated. And uh, his wife, my sister, understood that, made sure she got things clearly. She had the doctor to reiterate it to Jack Spradling, 
It's his name. 85. He said, you know what? I fully understand what you're telling me. I'm ready to go home and be with the Lord. And my sister said, if there can ever be such a thing as a beautiful death, he took the mask off. He put his hands like this. He had a lazy boy. He always kicked back and watched the Reds or W Mountaineers. And he would kick back kind of like this, him and his dog, Russell, at home. And he put his hands like this. In five minutes, she said he just slipped away. Five minutes. John Wesley said, our people live well and they die well. Jack Spradling in that hospital and those doctors and nurses was salt and light. He engaged in a little bit of the darkness. Hold his hands and said, I'll see you on the other side. Amen. So you can be salt and light. And that's fundamental and core who you are. Um, just last Sunday, I've been moving around in the AIG. Uh, we have an incredible, incredible AI uh, answers in Genesis curriculum. It's like people are coming and doing it's church-wide growth opportunity. People are coming and doing these discussion groups, and they're growing like crazy. I was just in a middle school discussion group this morning. It was totally full. They had to get a few extra chairs to set out. Last week, I sat in on the high school group, so I'm floating from group to group. I'm so excited. Everything from pre-K all the way up to adult. We are moving this whole church toward a biblical worldview because someday you're going to be salt and you're going to be light and you're going to engage this culture where it's rotting the most. You're going to engage it. You're going to represent a viewpoint, okay? But I sat in that uh, in that small group discussion group with high schoolers last weekend and we were talking about the attribute of God and his holiness and experiencing God's presence and I said hey what about you guys when have you experienced the presence of God the most one of the most um, just intense moments of God's presence no one said it was Yellowstone Park with my dad Braden said when somebody prays for me Maya says, I really experience God when I see flowers and the beauty, like the gratuitous beauty. Like the world doesn't have to be as beautiful as it is, but it's like over the top. God's just showing us how beautiful he is. She feels the presence of God in flowers. Brooke said, when I read a really good book and I learn something new, I experience the presence of God. See, these guys are learning to be salt. They're learning to be light. Nobody else in the world is going to talk about that. But they are. See, guys, they're walking with Jesus, see, and they're endeavoring to live that out. I went up to the primary school on Tuesday. Man, it's been a busy week. Um, went up to the primary school on Tuesday to prepare the little kindergartners and the first graders for the charger mile and you talk about when you show up to run at noon around noon with a bunch of pre-kers they're all over you man i mean they're everywhere and i loved it and they're holding your hand and we're running around that track 
and that's fun and exciting, and we get to have conversations, and it's amazing. And my wife came out there too, and she introduced me as her husband, and she saw one of her kids, and she said, here, I want to introduce you to my husband. And he, he looked at me, and he said, who, what, that? <laughs> Pointed at my beard. Like, that? That's your husband? It's a that? Have you ever been called a that? Okay. Well, I was called a that, right? I'm a that. But I got to have a conversation with him. And uh, when the first graders came out, uh, Caleb Baumgartner was so, Caleb Baumgartner, yes, was so excited. And a bunch of kids were gathered around. He was there. And this, another kid was trying to tell me how wonderful it is. If you run 100, if we run 150, um, I think it's like 150 miles, I think it is. They get a free pair of shoes and they get, um, they get to have lunch with the principal and if they run like 100 miles in the school year, they get a T-shirt. Uh, and then if they run like 50 miles in the year, they get like um, a medal, I think. They get a medal. Well, this kid was so excited about all that. Mr. Shepard's got him all excited about it. And, uh, and he's, he was trying to get it all out. And he was confusing the 50 and the 150 and the 100. And I can just see Caleb. He was just listening and listening. And he was just getting frustrated because... He said, hey, he said, listen, he said, just let me tell it. Just let me tell it. I know exactly what this is. Now, I, I've thought about this. Just let me tell it. Okay? Little Caleb being salt and light, right? Just let me tell it. I got this. God's got this, right? Um, we, you have an incredible viewpoint and a story to tell you have an incredible worldview to represent it's unlike anything that anybody else is going to bring to the table where we came from what went wrong in the world what God's doing to fix it how suffering gets resolved eventually how we get to see the Jack Spradlings of the world later in life how the little Caleb's of the world can grow up with hope joy and excitement joy in telling the story how young people can represent and engage the cultural decay of a society that's getting darker and darker. Question this morning, it is not, it is not, we're not to attack the house for being dark, that's just what happens when the sun goes down. We are not to attack the meat for spoiling, that's just what happens when meat is not refrigerated. The question to ask is where's the church? Where's the church? Last slide. Douglas O'Donnell shared, he's one of the commentators uh, that I res uh, consulted in this message. And I was just touched by it because he did a really good job on this commentary. And he shared, it was the summer of 1990. He just shares this personal story uh, trying to explain the subtle nuances of Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And trying to really dig in there and help us understand it as a commentary writer. It's kind of refreshing when these guys break out of their commentary and viewpoint and they give us a personal story. Well, that's what he did this week. Douglas O'Donnell, he shared, I was, it was the summer of 1990, 
and I had just graduated from high school, and I was selected to play basketball in the Prairie State Games, which is kind of an Olympics for Illinois. Most of the guys on the team were typical guys. We swore a lot. We talked disrespectfully and immorally about girls. And as superstar athletes, he says, we were full of ourselves. But there was one guy on the team who was noticeably different. And his name was Mark Davidson. This is what he said about Mark. Mark never swore on or off the court. He only talked and acted respectfully toward girls. And he treated everyone on the team, even the water boy, with dignity and kindness. Mark Davidson was humble, even though he was the best player on the team. In fact, he was voted the best player in the state of Illinois. Something else that Douglas O'Donnell tells you in his story is that Mark was a Christian. He was salt and light. I know this, he says, by the Bible that Mark kept next to his his dorm room bed and from the openness of his conversation. But also, and most importantly, I knew this by his behavior and his works and how he lived his life. Get this, a commentary writer, he went on to school to study in graduate school, got a a theology degree. He's now writing Bible commentaries on the Bible. This guy right here is reaching people all over with his book and commentary, helping pastors like me to try to understand and unpack a biblical text to the congregation on Sunday morning. That's what this guy does. That's his life. He's doing that today. Because somebody named Mark Davidson on a basketball team in Illinois decided to live a salt and light kind of life. He says, I became a Christian about a year and a half after tasting the salt and seeing the light of Mark Davidson. His behavior made it clear to me as it settled during those months upon my conscience, what it meant to follow Jesus. Jesus is salt. You're called to be salt. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for this community of people who shines so bright. Thank you for uh, the world that you've placed us in. And Father, we know the worldview of Jesus. We know what he says about the world. It is decaying. It It is a world that's falling apart. And there's darkness and there's decay that has to be engaged. And we know here today that you are calling us not to privatize this those days are over we can't privatize faith anymore we can't afford to sit this one out the question to ask is where is the church 
And so we ask you, Father, for wisdom and insight in representing a biblical worldview to people we are on basketball teams with and the people we do school with and the people we do art with and the people we work with and the neighbors we have and the online communities that we're in, that we would be salt and light in how we say things on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and that we would just be your salt and light. The beauty of your perspective would shine so bright in these situations that maybe somewhere down the line, somewhere down the road, there's a Mark, a Mark Davidson that impacts a life to such a degree that other lives are changed. And so we just ask all these things in your strong name here this morning. And for your glory we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much this morning. Uh, we appreciate you and love you. Again, I'm going to re re return to some other insights from this passage, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Would you stand with me this morning? You are salt. Now go be it. You're dismissed. Have a great day.